Become spellweavers, reavers, rogues, and men-at-arms, and answer the call of adventure. Pick up your sword, your axe, your spellbook, your bow, your rulebook, and your dice, and join the forces of good in their eternal fight against vile monsters, conspiring min-maxers, horny bards, and blood-soaked murder hobos. Discover the treasure trove of role-playing games here on Rollin' Bones. My name is Ryan Howard, and I shall be your guide. Good evening, Boneheads, and welcome to Rollin' Bones with Ryan Howard, your RPG treasure trove. I am your host and King of the Boneheads, Ryan Howard, and welcome to Valor Studios. We are a content creation community focused on the uh, tabletop role-playing game world, and we love sharing our stories with all of you out there. Uh, as I said, I am Ryan Howard, and this is Roland Bones. Uh, for anyone just joining us for the first time this evening, uh, this is a TTRPG talk show where we bring on guests from the uh, the role-playing community and have conversations about what they are bringing to their tables and to your tables. So if you guys like what you're seeing tonight, definitely, definitely subscribe here on Twitch. Uh, click, click the subscribe button just down here below my face. Um, if you want more information on what we've got going on, there's a few different places for you to look. Uh, first and foremost, there's ValorStudios.com, which you'll see a link for here in the chat. Uh, there's also the Discord community where you can connect with uh, myself and other Valor Studios personalities and uh, behind-the-scenes string pullers. If you like that kind of thing, uh, link is there in the chat as well. And you can also find all of our content on the Valor Studios YouTube page. So if you guys like what you see tonight and you want to share it with someone who wasn't able to join us live, definitely, definitely take that link over there that's going to pop up in the chat and uh, give it to your friends. Tell them that, you know, Roland Bones is available on YouTube. Also, if you're watching us on YouTube or listening to the audio afterwards, uh, thank you for supporting us in that way. Definitely subscribe on YouTube, give the video a like, share it around, all that good stuff just to help us out here and uh, you know help us grow the Valor Studios family. So uh, with that said, I'd like to introduce tonight's guests. Uh, we've got a couple of great guys on here. Uh, if you are familiar with any of the independent publishers union crowd that I've had on, so Levi Combs, uh, Jeff Telanian, Skeeter Green, these guys are often at conventions with them. Uh, they have a great publishing company called Silver Boulet, and uh, they are a couple of really awesome guys that I've been looking forward to having on for quite some time. So without further ado, uh, let me introduce you to the Silver Boulets. We have Ian McGarty and Rocky Gardner joining us tonight. So, fellas, welcome to Rolling Bones. Thanks for having us on. Oh, no problem at all. Glad you guys could uh, could come on tonight. We appreciate it. Yeah, so we uh, actually have a Kickstarter, which is why we kind of uh, told you we were mm -hmm. we were holding off. I know you'd mentioned this. Yeah, us coming on. Oh, but now, now is the time. It's ripe for us with our Kickstarter coming on. Oh, which yeah. Which is, 
a um, it's a zine, first issue of a zine for uh, fantasy games. I would say there's a lot of good adventures in there. Yep, absolutely fantastic. Geographic issue number one, and that is uh, that Kickstarter is currently live, isn't it? Yes. Yeah, so we timed it to run. We timed it kind of long, but it was like a late night conversation that Rocky pitched. And then I, I did it in the morning before he woke up. So, oops. So here um, we are. <laughs> so it's running from Total Con to Gary Con is kind of what, what, what it uh, it was. Awesome. So, and we made an appearance. We both of us were at Total Con and Rocky will be at Gary Con. Yep. Sweet. And he will be repping the the independent publishers union booth there. Nice. Cool. So I want to start things off tonight the way that we usually start things off here on Rolling Bones. I got these questions everyone gets asked when they come on the show. Uh, so let's begin kind of at the beginning here. Ian and Rocky, how did you guys get into RPGs and gaming? Uh, sure, I'll go first. Um... I started during the Satanic Panic. The long and the short is I was told I wasn't allowed to play, so guess what I was going to do come hell or high water, right? Like, I was nine, I was told, you can't play that game, it's Satan worship, and I've been playing since 1984. Sweet. Yeah, for me, I was nine, and an older cousin gave me a milk crate full of... Uh, first edition uh, D&D and basic stuff. Uh, and we're like, we're going to college, you can have this. And that's no looking back from there. So, and I had already been digging into some of the reading, like Jules Verne and stuff I loved. And it just was just getting into like Edgar Rice Burroughs and stuff. So it was right up my alley when I discovered that stuff. Nice. Now, of all the game systems that you guys have played in your your time as players, what would you say is your favorite system? Uh, I don't know that I have a favorite system. I play I play fantasy, so as long as it's fantasy bent, I'm happy. Uh, probably Menser D&D is what I cut my teeth on. Mm-hmm. So it's the one that, if I'm going to fall back to it, it's going to be that. Um, I play a lot of OSR stuff. I play a little bit of 5th edition, uh, DCC. I don't really have a favorite. I just, I'm glad to have the chance to sit down and game every chance I do. Yeah, I'm kind of right there with Rocky. Like, if you got a game, I'll play it. Um, I was kind of saying that to you as we were rolling up to this, too, that uh, the zine is really fun for me because I do like trying out different game systems, seeing what... uh, what's what's really great about them what's uh not so great um and and kind of playing with it so i like being able to write for different systems and look at uh a lot of different settings so i mean i'll play anything more i played some Morkborg at total con with tom wilson which was such a blast that was a, that was a great game a lot of fun. such a blast yeah I had, I had a wonderful time and uh and, and like i'll play that we'll play but i i a little more than rocky have a like a sci-fi bent i'd say that i like mm-hmm. i i like a healthy dose of sci-fi in my fantasy so uh, you'll you'll likely see some of that especially uh coming up we already 
uh, think about that a lot. <laughs> What's going on? Mm-hmm. Gotcha. Cool. So uh, one thing that I've noticed that everyone kind of develops as they, you know, go throughout their gaming career, we all kind of gravitate towards certain styles of play and, and styles of running our games. So if you guys had to describe your play styles, both as game masters and as players, how would you do that? Um, as a game master, I, I like description. I like description from my, from my players. Um, when they're searching for a trap, I want to hear them say, I'm tapping the, the ceiling on the floor with my 10-foot pole. I want to know the actions they're taking. I don't want... I'm searching for traps. I, I think that being able to describe the scene, both as a player and as a DM, creates a, a lot more immersion than just rolling some dice and having some fun that way. And there's nothing wrong with the rolling the dice method, but I find it a lot more fun to to use the vocabulary and and the ambiance of words to to really paint a picture. Hmm. Yeah, I, I I would agree with a lot of that. I think um, Rocky's played in some old school D and D with me, and um, I want to say that if I'm rolling dice, I've already failed. That that I haven't been able to talk my way out of or through it, whatever problem there is, just by <laughs> using like common sense and cunning. Uh, so, so at the, nowadays, uh, I'd say I'm, I'm more rules light system, but, uh, some of that is just that I'm, I'm older and I don't have like the time I did when I was, you know, 16 to 25 to just like crunch out characters and like game out numbers. And so I've just gravitated to like fast, quick, easy, and, and, uh, as fun as we can, but, uh, DM wise. Yeah. I like uh, I like to have fun with description too. I, I oftentimes will de- describe uh, obvious things in, in a way that makes them seem confusing, so that you'll suddenly discover the picture. Like you see me do that a bunch. Mm-hmm. Um, we, t- I think, both of us do. Is it, like you said, senses. We think about like what what you're smelling, what you might like, what the air feels like, uh, what the yep. environment is like, as often as possible. Mm-hmm. Is it dry? Is it moist? You know, all of these things come into play when a player is making a decision for their character. And the more description you have, the better the the better their ability to make that decision. I think, like, uh, I guess I'm the kind of game master too that will like I'll, I'll repeat myself if you need me to. Like, I'm not. Mm-hmm. I don't think uh, it's like one and done. Unless you get really annoying and then a trap. Yeah, it, or we're there to have but... fun, right? So <laughs> I, I don't mind repeating myself at all. But at the same time, don't make me do it 16 times because you're playing on your phone. If you're trying to get a better feeling of it, great. But if you're not paying attention, then you're going to miss out on the description. Yeah. Yeah, and it's... It's usually pretty easy to tell the difference between the two. Uh, it's it's mm-hmm. pretty obvious when someone is just trying to, they're just turning something over in their head and and trying to really kind of, you know, piece out, okay, what can I do here? Versus someone who just looked up and was like, oh, wait, wait, whoa. Uh, it's it's what my happened? turn, what? <laughs> my oldest son is really bad about that. He'll he'll be <laughs> off in La La Land playing around and all of a sudden it's his turn on in the game and he has no idea what's going on. But he'll just make an impulsive move 
Uh, oh, you will too. It's great. <laughs> like, I don't really know what's going on. All right, I'll hit something. You're like, uh-oh. Hmm. <laughs> oh, just... He's 11, so he's still, you know, yeah. still learning all that stuff. Hmm. Now, and this next question is one that people sometimes struggle with, but, you know, those of us who devote a lot of time to this game, to making this content, we have a lot of good memories uh, wrapped up in RPGs. So if you guys had to pick, like, a fondest RPG memory, what would that be? I was thinking about this earlier tonight. I was listening to your Harley Stroh interview, and he was talking about Gen Con. And 2007 Gen Con, I think it was, was a magical moment in my gaming history. I got to meet both Gary Gygax and Dave Arneson at that convention. I think it was th their last convention. I think it was 2007. Um... I discovered True Dungeon, so like that whole weekend, uh, that was the first weekend I met Ian was that year as well. So like 2007 Gen Con, there were just so many things that happened that uh, are mythical almost, right? Like I gained one of my best friends on the planet. I, I met the two creators of my favorite hobby. Like these are things that I'll never be able to reproduce again. So Gen Con 2007 really sticks out for me. Yeah, that's I. I guess that that was a, a good, pretty good. Year. <laughs> that was a good Looking one, right? On <laughs> Looking back on that, we've we've Rocky and I have done a, a lot of gaming together, uh, good and bad, I think. Um, but I think I don't know. We've. <laughs> hey, you want me to give another one for you? Because <laughs> um, no, I just but... I, I think one of my favorite gaming memories was was Rocky. He's gonna hate me for saying this. Was we we were playing in a like a Pathfinder campaign that totally imploded due to like personal fights <laughs> and stuff. And it, I don't know why. I had such a great time in that game. That, was, that game was that a lot was, of fun. That was Castle of the Mad Archmage, right? That one? Yeah. 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 And I, I had, uh, I, I had a, a, a character that uh, was a, a cleric, but everybody thought was a bard. No one has any idea it was a cleric, except for that ridiculous centaur. Yeah. Yeah. But, <laughs> So I had that night. game, that Those whole, the days. It, despite, even as it was, it, the, the game, I think because of that game was imploding, um, and, and Rocky, uh, and I, and we all just kind of like wrote it to the end that it felt like we were, you know, going down the, the chute as the floor's collapsing, sort of, sort of increased the, uh, the, 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 the tenor of the game and the emotional feel, I think. <laughs> I'm just trying to wrap my head around the uh, everyone thought your cleric was a bard thing. Like, were you did you have like a musical instrument that you were constantly playing? Yeah, yeah. I had a, so I was a I, I had a, a multi-class thief bard or a thief cleric that appeared to be a bard. So I used and I was like a, uh, a cleric of Allah Damara. So I blow every scent I had immediately in the tavern when we got there. <laughs> They're like drinks on the house. Like, uh yeah, it was, but but people didn't realize I was a cleric because I would just do very bard-like things. Gotcha. Okay, that's completely different from what I was thinking. I was, I was thinking a a cleric that everyone thinks is a bard would be like a the the cool youth pastor. <laughs> <laughs> no, he looked like a swashbuckling rogue. They were struggling to figure out. I think that was part of the beauty of that character is they couldn't. Yeah, it, it was. And, and riding the centaur. 
Because <laughs> I would just, I would slowly reveal Thanks, my abilities. I, I never used anything until, until I needed to. So. Gotcha. But that's, so that, some of my fondest memories there. Gotcha. Now uh, we've got one more of these introductory questions. Uh, Rocky, if you listen to the the Hardly Stroh interview, you know what's coming up here. I'll tell you guys, the answer to this question can be as philosophical or as sophomoric as you want it to be. Uh, but if you could put anything on a t-shirt, what would it be? I'd, I, I mean, I, I have to put just one thing on a t-shirt. I'd, I've made a lot of t-shirts over the years that have said a lot of ridiculous things. And, yeah, and I, I um, have a lot of ridiculous t-shirts. If you want to put like a million things on one t-shirt then then go for it but I don't know. one thing on a t-shirt just a boulet it's got to be if i can yeah. only have one thing it's just got to be a boulet uh, i would like a boulet shirt i also like i have um terry pavlet did it and did a character sketch for me several years ago that I bought from him at Game Hall or something. And I'd like to have that character on a t-shirt, too. He was, um... Speaking of Harley Stroh, um... Brendan LaSalle made a world called X-Crawl, and I had a character in that called Thrust, and he was just... Like, he was famous for running around and tearing off his armor to fight stuff. Like, that <laughs> was his whole thing. So, like, having him on a t-shirt would be pretty great. Yeah, we're hoping for some X Crawl classics soon. We keep yeah ho hovering on the edges of that. That's been in uh, in the beta, and and Brandon's like I've, I've we've played a little bit of that and taking a look. It looks like it's going to be pretty awesome. It's going to be great. Sweet. Which is that game is uh, classic 1980s WWF meets uh, dungeon crawling, televised like Smash TV. Ooh. So. Ooh. Um, that's a lot. Of, I just dumped a if lot of yeah. early nineties references on you. For, uh, if you I haven't played play X Crawl, find it. Yes, you do. It's so so. Picture it's like you know, like like sponsored magic items in the dungeon, and it's, that game is <laughs> yep. it's it's wonderful. It's a beautiful creation. We've played many an hour of that and enjoyed them. I'm picturing like Running Man the RPG. Yeah, that is yep. essentially it. Except you get to go in armed, and like some of the monsters are contracted, so like mm. you can't hit the dragon in the face, right? Or you can't like, <laughs> like they'll be like so. There's, it's because it's, it's a like a it's like a good sport, like a televised mm. sport. So yeah. yeah, that's a that's a great game, great game. Man, that's amazing. I I didn't even. I feel like maybe someone had told me about that, but no, that that is amazing. I need to I need to track that one down. Yeah, that, oh, was, that was that uh, was LaSalle's first independent publish. I'm trying to remember the press, something Panda, but that's yeah, yeah I it, don't remember. But you but can he's find done... that it was for three uh, Pathfinder. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they did a three, he did a three five and a Pathfinder version of it, and it shouldn't be too difficult to track down. And yeah. unlike yeah. we, yeah, we know he's working on one for DCC now too. That. Maybe I should wait that one out because DCC is very much where my head is at right now. So that that sounds amazing. So 
with the introductory questions out of the way, uh, I want to dig into some uh, some specific stuff. But you know, a- as we're doing that, uh, first things first, I need to give a huge thank you to Ian uh, because you had a very long conversation with me at North Texas last year, uh, where I went from I have this idea in my head of what would be what I think is a cool game setting to you sitting down and saying, all right, here's the realities of what you need to do to like put this thing together and turn it into something. And so I I do have to thank you for that because that journey could not have started without your help. Yeah. I like to say to Rocky that like we are famous for not losing any money on any projects uh, which is actually kind of tough in the yeah, RPG it is. publishing industry. Uh, so, but 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 we manage, and we have every time, and everything, and our quality keeps getting better. Uh, with and all, and for those of the, those people out there listening, this is it's not magic. It's not one day I think up a bunch of words, and then the next day I have a book. Right? Like mm-hmm. there are a hundred steps from the initial process of this sounds like a good idea for an adventure to a published book. And if you're not familiar with them, there's a lot of work that goes on in there. A lot of work. Oh yeah. I think, and uh, I don't know. I, I'm, not, I'm not always sure what other publishers do, but I, I think like Rocky and I play test a lot. Like we, it, like we run, yeah. like we, we run the adventures that, that we're giving you. They're not just like, a brainchild that I slapped together and put out like so, some someone's played it with with one of us running it. Uh, and I think that that sometimes shows and shakes off in the, the some of the some of the dust of the adventure, some of the rust that would otherwise accumulate from just writing. Hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And you were also the first person uh, who ran an MCC game for me, the, the game that I played at North Texas, that was the first time I'd played either DCC or MCC. So that was the uh, that was the gateway drug for me. That's what I'm trying to think of which adventure I was running. I think I, I believe that adventure that you were playing in will be like the full complex you were in will be mm-hmm. in uh, issue two of uh, Fantastic Geographic. So Sweet. so if you got a taste for that one and were wondering mm-hmm. what the rest of the story was. There's there's frozen ape men in the basement for sure. <laughs> nice. <laughs> and just to to give the uh, the people at home a little taste of what happened, uh, there was a machine that if you stick your arm in it and uh, roll, you might get a mutation or you might just take damage, it depending happens. on what you are. It, depending on some things, yeah. Yeah, I just, I, I enjoy, uh, like, I've always liked Gamma World, and um, I, so I enjoy Mutant Girl Classics quite a bit. Um, I'm, you know, itching to play some Mutant Year Zero. It's on, on my radar. Mm-hmm. Um, but those those games are a blast for me, so quite a blast. And we have a first question from the chat here. Um and I, I'm going to add to it a little bit. So the, the question from Chad is, do the playtest contribute to revisions of the content? And what I'm going to add is, how drastically can they affect what you guys are planning on doing with your adventures? 
oh, it depends on how terribly the adventure went for sure. And then, yep. like how well, um, we, like we have some people who play with us regularly. We'll play tests like our buddy, Jake, um, when we get time, always breaks stuff out. And yeah, we want like a, a blow by blow of what, what, what he thought. Cause he's going to tell yep. us where he, uh, either feel, felt like it could get broken or he could have, um, made it not work or, or made it way too easy or too hard. Um, but yeah, we listen to feedback for sure. Cause it's, it's important. You want it to, I want you to be able to grab it and run it with as minimal change as possible. I don't think it's possible to run an adventure just scripted perfectly without, uh, some, some little changes because that's just the way a dynamic group plays, but. And and largely, um, I think that they stick to the outline pretty well. But I know in a couple of adventures, like you know, this monster was overpowered. You can't you can't put a dragon there. Let's put you know something a little more tame, like a uh, wyvern instead. That that type of thing is more <laughs> the the type of stuff that happens with a play test. It the 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 storyline generally stays about the same. Just the challenge level of stuff changes some. Yeah, usually it's one of us suggesting a ridiculously overpowered monster, and then the other one saying that, that that's not going to work, and then we somehow cripple it a little enough to make both of us happy. So it's a, it's a give and take. <laughs> and I can tell you from experience, when you are uh, playing in a playtest by, oh, I don't know, Skeeter Green... <laughs> They're dangerous. <laughs> You get to a point where everyone's dead and Skeeter's like, good, good. Yep, that's that's good. I think a lot of these games too, especially with those like MCC or, or Swords and Wizardry or um, an OSE game, like you can slap a new character together so oh, yeah. so quickly mm-hmm. that it like it, it yep. almost doesn't matter if your dude gets pulped or your or your lady gets pulped, you just like snatch up a new paper and you're back in the back on the field, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's that's one of the things that Harley talked a good bit about uh, last week. And just to reiterate, for anyone out there who's not at all familiar with OSR games, one of the reasons why it's not that big a deal that your character can die like that is making a new character does not take any time at all. It's yep, not five like yeah, it, it's not like it is in. God forbid Pathfinder or 3.5 or 4E. It's not even uh, like it is in 5E. It's it's five minutes, like Rocky just said. It's real quick to get back in the action. Yeah, I'm, I I prefer the old school stuff too because I, I also don't... I, I prefer people... I prefer to play like my own personal stats, like figuring out puzzles and stuff, than a, than a character's like depicted number stats. Like, I, like I, I want to figure out the puzzle. I want to solve your dungeon. I want to solve uh, the traps. Like that's that's how I play. And I think um, I don't know if it's adversarially, but it's like, like yeah, we we want to win mm-hmm. <laughs> for sure. Yeah, and I mean that's it's approaching the game as a game or a puzzle or a challenge rather than as some kind of. I don't know, like story session where where everyone's kind of sitting around telling a story. Not that, again, if you like to play that way, that's fine. But definitely approaching it like it's a challenge is is kind of more where where these games come from. Uh, for anyone who wants your your tabletop role playing games to feel more like 
games. I, I think that's one of the best ways to describe this is you're, you're kind of bringing the game back into role-playing games. Yeah. And I think, I mean, I think Rocky and I too, both, um, I guess we're a little older now or, uh, but we came from an era of where like, because your character was so fragile, um, that like you didn't have a backstory and that going until like third level. Yeah. When third you'd, level. Like, picked right. up some stuff and the DM had been like, Oh, this guy might live. I'll drop some, some story hints in there and like and maybe like oh yeah maybe you've got a brother that like brought something one day and you're like oh i want to go check up on my brother and the, then like you start developing the story when you've got uh a, a little bit of cash for the dm to try to sink into something so you can't spend it on something fun <laughs> yep absolutely now we we talked a little bit about this uh when we were talking about fond RPG memories, but uh, like like Rocky said, you guys met at Gen Con. Was it two thousand seven? I think so. Yeah. How did it go from you guys meeting at a convention to let's start putting product out there? Hmm. So you have to take a, a an, another step back. We met at True Dungeon in at Gen Con in in, in two thousand eight. Uh, True Dungeon was doing a a dragon that they claimed was going to kill everybody. And for those of you not familiar with True Dungeon, you go through seven rooms and you have like a shuffleboard puck that you fight stuff with, and you have to physically figure out puzzles in the, in this immersive room. So Ian and I got together on their forums at the time, and that's how we became friends: was figuring out how to kill this dragon again. We went back to our old school roots and figured out this is the puzzle of killing this dragon. How do we do it? And we literally had six weeks worth of conversations before a 12-minute <laughs> battle with a dragon. Um, after after that battle, we became pretty good friends, and I started talking about, eventually, I want to publish a Mega Dungeon. And Ian said, hey, I kind of want to get into publishing, too. So we formed Silver Boulet a couple of years later, and here we are now, what, 10 books under our belt between um, digital and print versions? Something like that? Getting up there, yeah. Not not as much as it should. We got slowed uh, down in our own our own stuff because we did a we do some work for other people too. And yep, um, yeah. Right now, um, I'm laying out Greg Gillespie's newest Mega Dungeon. I'm, we're about to start the five E layout for that. For example, uh, that'll start probably Friday or Saturday. I'll start working on the the second book of that. Sweet. We've always sort of got a, a lot of little projects. Uh, burning but yeah a lot of this started because rocky has this vision of a mega dungeon um and it was like oh you like i think you could do that i think we could do that without like losing money and still make something pretty um and and we keep doing other stuff instead (laughs) (laughs) we'll get there man yeah i know it's my carrot currently in a hurry right (laughs) keep dangling it Is making a mega dungeon the uh, the like mirror opposite of playing a mega dungeon? Eventually, we're gonna finish this. <laughs> yes, or, or, or it drives them it drives them mad. Yeah, yep. like, I'm filming a documentary about making a mega dungeon. I, I <laughs> tell you all. No. <laughs> well, no, he's got he's getting there. It's it's. It's got some pretty sweet pieces, and he's developing yeah, it. Yeah, there, there's there's several good set pieces in it. Um, 
I haven't played it late um, a lot since uh, the pandemic started. Obviously, can't go to the FLGS, and um, I had some health issues for a little while, but hoping to get back into that later this year after we finish up. Uh, issue one of um, Fantastic Geographic's pretty much done on my end. Um, issue two is pretty much written and ready to be in layout, and then um, we have another module that we've been working on for several years that I'm laying out now, and then I'm hoping to get back into getting some of the Mega Dungeon stuff done. Yeah, that was that was sort of our frozen uh, pro project before um, Rocky like took a break for a bit, and then we jumped back in. So, uh, yeah, like I said, I guess that project's on. We're going to finish that one soon. I'm yeah, I'm in. not giving you a choice. <laughs> <laughs> you know me, I'm in. Hmm. Uh, now, when it comes to the name that you guys picked, obviously, you know, Silver Boulet seems like a layup. Whose idea was it, and was there an argument over whether or not you were going to use it? I, I think it, I'm not even sure who thought of it. It's it was a joint effort, and like it once it was heard, it was just there. We were like, yeah, uh, that was it. It was the name, and we knew it was good. We had made like T-shirts, and uh, at Gen Con, Tim Cask was was rolling by across the street, and he's like, hey. Hey, yeah, said us. He's like, where the hell did you get that shirt? So uh, we had to give Tim a shirt for that immediately, and we're like, yeah, this is perfect. Mm-hmm. And it's Tim, through Tim. He's like, what, what, what does it say? You know, what's yeah. you read it to him? Like a like a test. Just op- open up the notebook and cross off accosted by Tim Cask at convention off the bucket list. Yeah, he's a great guy. I still have not met him because he was not. Uh, at North Texas uh, when I was there. So uh, hopefully sometime in the not-too-distant future, I'll get to meet Tim Cask finally. Is that as bloodthirsty in his games anymore? At his he is game? not. Which is nice, because you get a really... Like, you get a, a fun... A, like, a really fun gaming experience with him, I think, right now. Um, that that it shows uh, some of his experiences as a game master and as as a writer and editor that he can incorporate so much in and, and put out something that, that people have a great time with. Mm-hmm. I've heard the stories. I've heard people talk about the wheel and, and how that generates misery. It's good. It, it does. <laughs> I'm just remember, the last time I played, it was with Skeeter green and it, it went nuclear at the end of it. Oh, yeah. Because <laughs> yeah, you guys broke the wheel. <laughs> yeah. We broke the wheel for sure. I mean, I survived, but I think I was the only one. Now, uh, getting into some of the stuff that you guys have with Fantastic Geographic, uh, first of all, I just have to say, you guys have Fantastic Geographic, uh, Wampler has Scientific Barbarian, is Creatures Digest going to be the next one from your group? Don't steal our ideas. <laughs> Are you you're just advertising to everybody? Trademark, TM that. <laughs> Yeah, we and we talked to Jim about it too. We're like, "This is what we want to do. What do you think?" And he's like, "That is cool. You guys, one hundred percent, should go for it to make sure we weren't uh, encroaching." Um, but we d- we definitely it's it hit everything that we felt because it is it's a bunch of um, pieces that you could take and drop into any of your campaign worlds, and um, be it uh, even this issue, you get a bunch of different like terrain settings and a bunch of different stuff that you can just immediately use. Uh, yeah, for, um, no matter what you're running. 
yeah, I think we have, what, three adventures in there? Mm -hmm. um, and I know that every issue I want to put in a unique dragon. Like, dragons and undead are my two favorite creatures, so... And I, I've had several ideas for great dragons, and the the one in this issue is a blue dragon that collects statues, and she controls an area of a desert, and in order to travel through with your caravan, you got to deliver a statue. And she doesn't care if it's one inch tall or if it's the Colossus of Rhodes, right? Mm -hmm. She just wants another statue she doesn't have. And And having dragons and powerful NPCs like that I think are important in a game where like even even high level adventure she's only like a CR 14 and 5th edition stats even like an 18th or, or 20th level party is going to have a difficult time beating her because the way that um, she has set up her lair so it's on top of a plateau and you know you can see she can see for miles around and knowing knowing how to to develop a, a dragon like that can be a really fun thing and having one already done for you in fantastic geographic can show a lot of dms you know this can be the power of a dragon mm -hmm. gotcha so when it came to kind of putting everything together in fantastic geographic uh you know w what prompted the hey let's make this zine let's put all this in the book and then how has uh like how successful has this been so far uh, kind of, you know, in the early stages of your campaign at this point? Um, so I think part of this is that we, we had written this urban adventure that we really didn't know how to present because uh, it was like a bunch of little missions. And we're like, how do we do this without it being like we just we played with a bunch of stuff um, until Rocky uh, pitched that he had a, a dragon that he really wanted to start pushing some of the dragon stuff. So uh, a zine kind of made sense from there. Um, and I think at this point uh, we're successful. Like, like we'll break even with our art and our print costs and stuff um, and have some, some copies to, to sell after. So, so for us at this point, we're, we're successful. Like we've, <laughs> we've done this and like, I still got my shirt. Uh, Rocky does yep. too. Um, <laughs> And, and that's where we go from there. And ideally, we manage to make enough uh, to pay for some amazing art for our next project. Because that's that's kind of how we do it. We grab the, the what we can from this one and keep pushing it to make a better and better product. Oh, and we had a, a special guest author in this one, too. James Spahn did an article for us. Um, congratulations, James, on the baby boy, too. He had a baby boy today. Awesome. Awesome, definitely. Congratulations. Yeah, his the creature he wrote is is lovely. <laughs> it's I great. love it. It's it really is. Hmm. It's it's a, it's a an, an innocuous looking bird that is anything but innocuous. So. Sweet. Now, Rocky, you've brought up something very interesting here, and that's your love of dragons. I, I just want to ask you a little bit about that because. I've heard a lot of people somewhat recently talk about how dragons are boring. I disagree with that. And I know based on what you said that you disagree with that. So so hold forth a little bit on dragons and what is so cool about them or what's so interesting about them to you. Well, dragons are the, the title character of Dungeons and Dragons, right? Like yeah. they are that creature. They are the thing that should be the, the mountaintop and if you're not 
portraying them that way, you're doing something wrong. I, um, in my mega dungeon, there's, for example, um, there's an NPC named Acidophilus. He's a green dragon that walks around um, polymorphed into a dwarf most of the time. Like he goes out and and he's because he's a druid, he's neutral, right? So mm. he'll he'll go and help the party. Sometimes he'll he'll hinder the party, but he's an interesting character that that the the players always like to see show up and they don't care if he's in dragon form they don't care if he's in dwarf form you know um there he he has rivalries with other dragons in the mountain that type of thing um but dragons dragons are powerful and they they can't be everywhere but they have to be present is a good way of putting it i think um and i think that some of these people who are saying that dragons are, are boring are are um missing a huge opportunity with dragons yeah uh, and they're opening up a stat book and they're saying like all right this gold dragon's in this cave or this dragon's in this it's like nope that dragon should be like a living creature with uh, yeah. a unique name and you know what he's gonna know some wizard spells and ooh you know what, we're going to give him some magic items. And he's not an idiot, so he's going to be like wearing that ring. And he's going to have yep. on this stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, and he's going to know and, how to use it and know the area and have allies of his own. Um, and, and then and, you've got an adversary. And, and you can't just boil them down to combatants. Yeah. Dragons have to be powerful personalities. And if you're not using those powerful personalities, then you need to try to. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, that anytime you're talking about a dragon, you're talking about world shifting power and just keep that in mind mm -hmm. yeah i i couldn't agree more with what you guys have said here um dragons they they almost have to come across as like the super villains like the mega super villains of fantasy role-playing because of the the dominance of their personality the even if you just dig a little bit deeper into the monster manuals that you have there you can see uh these creatures all have unique habits unique environments that they like to live in they're drawn to different things uh like you know i i've seen white dragons all over the place in different 5e games but it wasn't until i started uh, looking into stuff for my own game that I realized, wait, white dragons like to sleep upside down like they're bats. And like they hang like a stalag, like a like an icicle. Yep. Which is just it, it's a small detail, but it's it's interesting. But, it gets you. Yeah. It gives you an extra little thing to to make something, you know, unique with your dragons. And every dragon can be unique. It doesn't take much. Um, one of the dragons that will show up in a later issue of um, Fantastic Geographic is a dragon that... It's a blue dragon that lost his wings and has coated the floor of his lair with copper wire all over the place. So it doesn't matter where you're standing in there, that lightning breath is going to hit you. <laughs> you know, and, and, and things like... It, it, you've got to think about, you know... this If you are going to use it as an adversary like that, that dragon has a breath weapon that it wants to be able to use if 10 people come and do assault it. Mm -hmm. So it has, it has set up its layer so that that breath weapon will hit you. I think that it, like in a fantasy game, if you're playing in a campaign with any sort of story uh, and any sort of developed landscape where there's villages or towns, like 
a dragon is is a nuclear weapon in a fantasy campaign. Like, sure, your 10th level fighters and wizards and clerics can handle it, but what can a bunch of zero level farmers do when that thing swoops overhead? Absolutely nothing. They're all going to be murdered. Um, and I think that's almost more terrifying it, uh, for the players. You know, what's the best way to get back at your players? Burn down their favorite tavern? Mm-hmm. Yep. Now, now you guys have me thinking about, like, what if you went into a dragon's lair and they shot their breath weapon at you and it missed? Like, it, it wildly went out of the way because they weren't aiming for the party. They were aiming for a pile of gold right next to the party that's now at molten gold. Dripping on the party, yeah. Yeah, and... and for anyone who ends up in my campaign, if that exact uh, you know situation Hot happens, hallway is, is yeah, have him do it in the hallway when he sees him coming or she yeah. sees him coming, and have the gold above, and it just breathes mm-hmm. above, like ah, oh, it didn't even hit us, and then ooh, that's I love that. Yep, There's it'll no be a deck to save to get out of the way of that. There's and no then deck you... saving out of that raining gold. Just burn. Or it, it'll it'll be a strength or constitution save to get the molten gold off of you. Otherwise, it'll Before solidify it and you're a yep. statue. Good way to lose a hand, though, right? Solid yeah. gold. Mm-hmm. <laughs> in fact, that that would be like a cool bit in that, uh, like for that layer, you just see like, like molten gold figures just like yeah, frozen people, in place, like the dragon in cases of. Yeah. In- yeah she kills him that's yeah that's that's lovely that's that's a terrifying dragon yeah so you've already made a dragon that's gonna like it's gonna get someone going in there so it's gonna scare everybody Mm -hmm. yep yep man man and and dragons are a huge part of night haven that i'm working on so i i like these ideas i'm I'm gonna file that away for later yeah just make sure if if party runs across a dragon dragon needs a name Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, they're they're powerful enough where they should always have a name. Mm-hmm. If, I mean, if you're concerned about your dragon, too, always just like give it some spell levels. Make yep. it a wizard. Make it a cleric. Give it because it, it it's been around. There's no reason it couldn't have picked up some spells. Yep, it's seen some things. <laughs> Absolutely. So you know, we we talked a little bit about what you guys are are doing, kind of with this first issue of. Uh, Fantastic Geographic, and I know, Rocky, you mentioned you want a unique dragon in every issue. What other things are you guys looking to do in subsequent volumes of uh, Fantastic Geographic without giving away too much, obviously? Uh, Well, we so I convinced Rocky to do a sci-fi fantasy crossover, so um, the Splash, some fantasy a la Expedition to the Barrier peaks into your uh, into your uh, fantasy. So we're gonna add. So like I said, it'll be a mutant girl classic, but it will also have stats and setup, so you could run that thing uh, with your dungeon crawl classics group. And uh, we were we were talking about that adventure that was a bunch of vignettes. We have I think eight of those that are that we've written so far. So you know, one of those is going to appear in every issue. Um, Several of our modules in the past have uh, been based in or around our main city of Redstone, so a lot of a lot of the, those uh, urban adventures are fleshing out that city in one fashion or another. Um, I, yeah. I have, and that that and, series of adventures is really like 
um, like we 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 both dislike the idea of of um, a single like thieves guild running mm -hmm. um, a city. Like we it would be a bunch of different gangs. Uh, so that's essentially what these the, the, these adventures are: is you're dealing with like a low low end gang war, uh, and how do you deal with it? And you're welcome to move up in the ranks or thwart them or so. It's it's a fun set of adventures. Yeah, I've I've been in very similar headspace. Uh, the the game that I'm working on is is urban as well. Uh, so. I, the the natural question uh, that that comes up there is what have you guys noticed is different about designing adventures and encounters in an urban environment versus in like your standard kind of open field or uh, enclosed dungeon space that you're you're typically finding in uh, you know fantasy adventures. Uh, I think a cityscape is a lot more dynamic, right? Like uh, depending on the time of day you might have a hundred innocent bystanders or there might be two drunk people in the middle of the night, right? Like depending on when the shenanigans are going down with the group. So um, it's not like a dungeon where you walk into a door and, you know, you go through the door, there's two orcs standing there ready to fight you. It, it's, you know, uh, are the rival gang going to call for reinforcements? Are they able to call for reinforcements? Where are, where are the city guards at right now? There, there are, there are, several things that can change at a moment's notice when you're talking about a city adventure that aren't going to be so prevalent in a dungeon or wilderness adventure. Yeah, and I, th I think a, a city is also much more deadly for your classic murder hobo characters um, if it's run right, right? Because you can't just go murdering your way through a city. There's like, right. otherwise it wouldn't be a city. There's must be some law enforcement to deal with uh, uh, meatheads like that. So, um, and we and we flesh some of that out in uh, Fantastic Geographic. Like, how would you, how, how would you do this? How would you handle like city? How would you be able to summon guards? And what 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 should that look like um, to to intimidate the players enough to to stop murdering poor old ladies trying to cross the yep. street? Yep. Do guards recognize you? Are you on a wanted poster yet? Those are things that we've touched base on in the first issue that will probably get expanded on in later issues too. I think even just the inconvenience of your players not being able to get anywhere in a city without getting hassled by guards uh, can change behavior and like have them play more creatively and um, a little bit more savvily in the city. When when I was playtesting the game, I had a wizard that ended up having to like walk around the city disguised because every time the group did something, he was not able to get away and he kept getting arrested. <laughs> so, so all the guards recognized him on sight every time he stuck his head out onto the street. So he eventually had to start carrying like five different disguises with him so that he could uh, quickly change and not be chased down by the sentinels. Mm -hmm. Just kind of turn into the Inspector Clouseau of your group. Yep. Yep. <laughs> now, w one thing that I've been kind of playing around with in, in my setting uh Depending on the time of day, every, every time an encounter starts on the streets of the city, uh, someone has to roll a dice. And depending on the time of day, it depends on what time of what type of dice you're rolling. So like in the middle of the night, uh, it would be like a D10 uh, in the middle of the afternoon when, you know, the streets are bustling, it would be a D4. But at the end of that, that gives you a number of rounds before someone is coming to break things up. Um, well, that's not bad. I, that's a really I, good idea. 
I think also like um like I run cities uh in in my games just like I would in Overland like hex crawl. Mm-hmm. Like moving in the city for a certain period of time gives you uh, a role on a random encounter check. Like you're going to see some messed up city stuff or you're going to see, you know, it's like every time I've been to New York city, I've, I always make sure that I, I get to w- at least witness one drug deal. I'm like, Oh, there it is. All right, honey, I'm ready to go. <laughs> uh, uh, but I always want to see that. Right. So that's like, that's the sort of thing that you want to incorporate into your, your city thing is like, like, is there a dude hawking watches out of his coat? Is there like, you want to try to flesh it out like that. And um, I think quite like a real simple way to make it, uh, seem more fleshed out as some random encounters in the city. Yeah, I mean, it's a city is it's, you know, the, the concrete jungle cliche. It's a thriving ecosystem where there's all kinds of things uh, that are constantly happening. And I think one of the one of the ways to make a city really stand out as a location is to have those kind of crazy, weird things that people can encounter on the side of the road uh, just as they move across the hexes. And uh, again, it, it seems like we've kind of been living in the same headspace in that regard, because I've, I've been thinking about a lot of that stuff, too, as far as just making something happen every so often in the city. And I think, uh, like, people... Like, an encounter isn't always just a, a fight. It's not yeah. always uh, a swamp gator busting out of the, the water on you. It's... It's something difficult or deadly or potentially dangerous, right? Uh, that could be like a runaway cart or that could be... Um, and things like that lead to the creation of uh, NPCs that will make your game unforgettable for sure. Uh, uh-huh. and, and and encounters that will. Now, another thing that I've been trying to do is make the open use of magic a little bit more difficult for players who are using magic in the city. Uh, and, and the way I do it is there are, there's a magic police that operates in the city of Nighthaven uh, in, in my game. And if you are going around, you know, just like chucking fireballs through windows and stuff like that, they're coming after you. Have you guys played around with any of that? Is that like incorporated in, in what you've, uh, you know, built up in your city? Not really. Um, largely, I I think in a city the size of Redstone, right? It's based loosely off of Rome. So you have these high level clerics, you have these high level wizards that live in this city, and if you go start, you know, blasting fireballs in the street, guess who's going to show up? Yeah, they don't want it. They don't want to pay extra taxes because yep. you are being a whatever. Vulgar so, displays of magic are dealt with with zero prejudice. In, in yeah, any right. And, and that, you're going to stand die. on its own. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah, for sure that that makes it more fun though. If you like outlaw or renegade magic, like Dark Sun style, mm-hmm. uh, classic, classic uh, second edition setting with magic rarity and scarcity, uh, that can be fun. I I have like a in in my home game my the last. Uh, classic fantasy game i was running i had a gnome city that they just like would would create fines and i hated uh, that lic- city fines <laughs> <laughs> <hated that> <laughs> and licenses for everything like everything like it, it was lovely it was just and the city was a madhouse there was some you want to see some fun random encounters in the city that 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 place had them where you're like what the heck is going on 
I had a player. She sat. She they took like like her, a bunch of downtime there, and she took a whole day just to just to roll random encounters and watch them. She's like, I just want to hear what you're going to describe. <laughs> it's like, all right, roll a d12. You know, let's let's see what pops up on this street. <laughs> but but she had a great time. She witnessed a duel. She witnessed like all sorts of fun stuff. Now, this gnome city was this was like a city that was mostly populated with gnomes. Am I correct in assuming this? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. They had there were some dwarf emigres, but they were they sort of treated them like uh, second class citizens. That game that I ran too, there was actually a whole plot about a demon messing with the dwarves and like taking them over. But they just kind of breezed by that and let that happen. So were there many situations where the players had to like stoop as they walked into buildings and stuff like that or? Oh, for sure. For sure. And they did. And it was super hard to navigate too. I made it incredibly, Hmm. it was a fifth edition game. So you know how stat checks get with that one, if you've ever played it, but I made it incredibly difficult to navigate. So oftentimes they would like try to go somewhere and they would stop at a tavern um, and be like drunk, lost in the city. (laughs) <laughs> they got they got fined for putting a Darren's instant fortress just like in the middle of a clearing. They're like this looks good. We're gonna, we can't find our hotel. We're going here. So, which who, anybody who's driven in the city can can feel that frustration, you know. Yep. But yeah, that's that's an interesting scenario because you have a very heavy bureaucracy, and on top of that, just by nature of being taller than everyone else, the players stand out. So, mm-hmm. yeah, that one, that city really is awfully boiled down to like every every awful thing I I, I didn't like about about bureaucracy and cities just boiled down into a nice syrup bitterness people either love it or hate it too it's strange i think it tells you something about uh what your group for sure absolutely now the the last thing i i want to talk about as far as like the just designing specifically for cities uh i've read and seen a lot of information out there about certain types of like armor were forbidden in the cities because it wasn't a time of war. So like someone walking around in full plate armor with a halberd, they're going to have a hard time um, just like navigating the city because people are going to assume they're being invaded at that point. Have you guys played around with any of that or, you know, what's kind of your, your take on that side of things? We, when I'm running Redstone, um, it's generally frowned upon to be wearing your full combat gear out on the streets. It's not like it's not illegal, but you're probably going to have four or five guards following you from shop to shop, just watching mm-hmm. what you're doing and waiting for you to make the smallest mistake. Because, well, let's face it, plate armor is three to five hundred gold pieces. That's a, that's the price of a house. Yep. You know, if they can confiscate that and sell it, they're going to be quite happy and and have a huge bonus at the end of the day. And 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 they're not corrupt, but you know, they're looking for any excuse at that point. Uh, yeah. Most of them aren't corrupt. There are a few that are corrupt too. That will be just like, "Hey, we're arresting you now because you're wearing plate armor and have a glowing sword." So yeah, I uh, generally I will let them pass, but they know that they are on their best behavior, or their toys get taken away. It gets you noticed, right? Like if you're yeah. driving up to a, the party in a tank is is a lot different than you know rolling up in a midsize sedan. 
Uh, yep. and, and I think that that you should reflect that in your in your running style and play style, and and have them draw the attention of, of guards and and people they might not want attention from if if they're, you know, fully kitted out for the joust. Well, you know, just going, we're gonna go talk to uh, that fence, and he's like, clink, clink, like, mm, <laughs> you look way too obvious, buddy. And yeah, I'll, oh, sorry, go ahead, Rocky. Well, I was just going to say an anecdote about our buddy Jake that we've talked about. He was the one that walked around in armor all the time, but he w he loved like throwing gold at the uh, at the guards that were following him and stuff. That was one thing that he did a lot to keep them off of his back. So they would they would turn the corner for a minute while he would go and do something a little less uh, savory. <laughs> he would often bribe the guards. Walking around looking wealthy like that, he would bribe them a lot. That's pretty great. Like full on, it's like yeah, an Assassin's on, Creed like, where you can throw bags of money yep, at people. Yep, <laughs> yep, straight up. Yeah, but we all know what would happen. Some guy's mm -hmm. running by and throws you 500 bucks. Yeah, you want 500 more. <laughs> yep. Yeah, of course. You fall around, fall in around the guy who's throwing bags of money at me. Yep. Yeah. But yeah, that's there are a lot of circumstances in role playing games where I feel like people don't take into account the differences of the environment that their game is set in. Um, and, and so that's something that I've been kind of, you know, puzzling through specifically with urban environments, but also generally speaking, uh, like, you know, what what does a campaign that's entirely set in the underdark? How is that different from a campaign where you're, you know, above ground? you'll be doing the same kind of things you're, you know, exploring, uh, trying to find specific things, but you know, the, the deprivation of light and stuff that you would have on the surface is going to change circumstances. So it's interesting to think about. And I feel like if you're, if you put the time and thought and effort into that, you make a better experience for your players than if you just say, all right, we're going to play D&D, &D, but this time it's in a cave. Nothing's changed. We're just, you know, everyone's in a cave. I, th yeah, I think I uh, you need you need uh, NPCs that become memorable for the players to make any, any long-term campaign effective. And I like to talk about the three pillars of role-playing, combat, uh, exploration, and role-playing. And you can turn those dials to make campaigns different, right? Um yeah, and, and something like the lack of a light source can be both exploration and role-playing, depending on how it's portrayed. And that that's largely on the DM to get the, the players into the correct mindset, but a good DM should be able to either invoke that feeling of dread and claustrophobia and the darkness closing in, or the, the hope of light is just around the next corner, right? Yeah. And whichever way you want to play it, it's up to the DM. Absolutely. So once you guys have this uh, this campaign wrapped up and, you know, everything's done with Fantastic Geographic, what else are you guys working on and what's, you know, what's next for uh, Silver Boulet? So we have, like we said, that issue two planned, um, mm -hmm. likely... It's already in layout. Yeah, and that'll likely be kickstarting by North Texas, the way it's yep. looking. We're yeah, really so the... just at this point waiting for art to finish up 
uh, and then we're ready to print for this. Yep. Uh, so at this point, the plan is finish this Kickstarter up, have it fulfilled. Uh, Ian and I will meet in June at North Texas to to sign the, the autographed copies and that kind of thing, and then be completely done with this Kickstarter and on to the next one. Uh, Fantastic Geographic 2 in June. And then um, September, October, that one should be finished up and moving on to, I'm hoping to do a module at that point, depending on where I'm at in the layout for that. And that is an estimated around 100 pages, it's looking like. I'd say. Yep, right now. Um, and that's... With uh, dozens of maps, uh, lots of art. Lots and of that's... Dirge of the Frost Yarrow. We've been talking about it for years. Uh, Creeping Cold was our first Kickstarter. This is the successor to it. Um, when I got sick a couple years ago, it put us way off track. But I was able to get back into the InDesign files of this and get back to work on it. And we've already got several assets for that and some, some of the artwork and most of the maps. So that'll be a pretty easy one to put together as we get into the summer, as long as my three kids let me get some work done. And then as far as conventions coming up, uh, you know, obviously, you know, we've mentioned North Texas. Uh, I think at the top of the show, we mentioned that Rocky is going to be at uh, GaryCon. Mm -hmm. uh, what else do you got? What other conventions are you planning on hitting up uh, just in, in 2022? I'm, I'm doing the first Chaosium Con in April. Uh, we will be doing uh, Gamehole Con for sure this year. Um, and then it's about our general circuit at this point is TotalCon, uh, North Texas, Game Hole, sort of as regional yep. as we can get without hitting up the West Coast because we haven't found one over there yet that we'd like to go to, I guess. And I typically hit GaryCon. I'll be hitting GaryCon this year. Um, Grand Con in Grand Rapids, Michigan, I might end up going to in September. We'll see. Um but the four that I typically go to are North Texas, Gamehole, uh, Gary, and TotalCon. And GaryCon is usually on my list, but I just couldn't do it because of family obligations this year. Mm -hmm. Gotcha. And uh, what what are you kind of planning on running uh, for these conventions, or you know, what should people uh, what should people be on the lookout for? Uh, if they want to play in a game with uh, with Ian McGarty or uh, Rocky Gardner. So I've already got some games uh, in for North Texas. There is a uh, Morkborg adventure in there that is maybe a social adventure. Now it's 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 social for a little bit, but then it's straight up Morkborg uh, uh, mayhem. So and I think what else did I put? I put in a. A mutant crawl classics adventure i'm trying to remember which one it was i put in something for mutant crawl classics probably yeah i'm sure you did but you'll find um, me running anything from fifth edition swords and wizardry to the end you know mutant crawl classics dcc osc markboard i spend most of my days at the independent publishers union booth when i'm at conventions so i don't run a lot I'm working on putting together a greatest hits of Mega Dungeon Room, so taking some from uh, like a couple of the more famous rooms from Barrow Maze, a couple from Under Mountain, and just kind of hodgepodging them together and being like, here you go. 
have fun figuring out, you know, this this famous puzzle or this, you know, this scenario or whatever. And and that's that's on my list to get to running and I'm hoping at game hole I'll have it ready to go. Sweet. And as we're kind of reaching the end of our time here, uh kind of a last minute thing that happened uh, you know, just this afternoon, you guys got some uh some art for Fantastic Geographic in uh, so, you know, James, if you want to go ahead and display that for everyone, um, th- there's uh, some really cool pieces here from uh, from Del Tegler uh, that, that we yeah. have to show off. And these are actually from uh, that city adventure we mentioned. So these are some of the NPCs in there uh, that mm-hmm. you'll encounter. And we did he did a couple different backgrounds. He's, his artwork is just stellar. Phenomenal. Like, yep. Yeah, I just I. It gives me goosebumps seeing it. Oh yeah, like, it's... yeah. A lot, well, we a lot really, of that stuff is gorgeous. We really have an all-star lineup of artists in Fantastic Geographic. Um, who else in there, Ian? Um, so Jonathan Bingham did the drew yep. the cover, and his wife uh, Daisy Bingham is doing the color for it, uh, and she's working on that now. And she's uh, exceptional as well. She's um, she's done a lot of coloring too for like. Uh, uh for jeff Telanian on some of his stuff um we have keelan halverson wonky art doing some of our creepiest monsters because we like his some of his monster stuff is oh yeah yeah it's, yeah it's it's terrifying like like it's what you want a monster picture to be um we've got i'm trying to think of we have so much art coming in we have this yeah. uh, gentleman uh dave simpson from uh texas area who um, Mike Battalata hooked us up with, who's uh, just been producing some uh, unbelievable stuff. Um, but I mean, at this point, I think we started and we're like, we want to get 12 unique pieces and we're, and we're almost twice that at this point. Yeah, um, we got a couple from yeah. Lloyd Metcalf. Yeah, Lloyd did some. I think we've got some. Do we have an Ed Bickford in there? Or is that going um, the Yes, I think we have one Ed Bickford in there. Nice. I think uh, I think Bill is in there. In the, yeah, and he'll have some in the second issue as well. So mm-hmm. we have a lot of a lot of really exceptional artists, um, and we've got more exceptional artists that we're just like chomping at the bit to use. That's mm-hmm. I think that's the one wish of every RPG creator is just uh, endless art budget is just uh, yeah absolutely know, thirty mm-hmm. artists chained up in your basement like. <laughs> I need more of this. Hurry. Yep. <laughs> but but they, and we have artists that knock it out of the park. Like they just get us. They hear hear what click with our descriptions and what we're looking for and and really bring it to life. Awesome. And then uh map wise, uh Ian, you actually did the majority of the maps for this. Is that correct? Yeah, so I did all but in this one uh the city adventure has uh, like an, a neighborhood map with some locations, and that is uh, actually a piece of a map Alyssa Faden did for us. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we had, do we have? We have another. Yeah, we have. Who did the, I don't who remember did the her name either. The the overview land map of the area around Redstone, and I don't remember the artist's name. Just I'm just blinking. Yeah, it is. well, she she did it for us before I got sick, so like, it was a long time ago. But she did, um, it's a phenomenal piece, and she's definitely credited it in the uh, 
in the yeah book. And 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 that's a great map too. That's, that's yeah, it really is. But all the uh, sort of like location maps, dungeon map stuff for are me at this point. So, but I've I've gotten good at mapping apparently. So I just yes. had uh, Alex Kamer's uh, book on Thay and Ed Greenwood's book on Thay. A, a, a lot of those maps in there are mine. Um, mm-hmm. Not Mike Lay's uh, Overland map, which is a really awesome map too. I love it. Like you can feel the the height in that map. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but yeah, it's been it's kind of a some some dream mapping gigs and all started because we. Uh, needed to figure out how to get maps in our modules that we could afford when we were first doing it on a Yeah, our earliest maps are literally Dwarven Forge tiles taken pictures of and then photoshopped in, in our earliest modules. That's how we did our maps. And Ian said, that's not good enough and started learning how to map. And here he is a few years later doing it for Ed Greenwood. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yep, and... and- even though he's uh, he's frozen right now, I don't know if he can hear us or not. But uh, Ian, there he goes. yep, he's back Sorry. now. It just got windy and stormy. We're having um, thunderstorms, apparently. Mm-hmm. And some <laughs> oh yeah, that we we just got through some of those on on our end here. So yeah. Now, uh, but but as I was saying, uh, Ian's maps are actually super good. So you know. They are legitimately amazing maps, having seen uh, a few of them in, in the game that uh, I, I was able to play in with Ian. They really are like good quality maps. I, I appreciate that. I do cool. love printing them out for that's that's my move, too. If you ever draw your own maps, even if you're just doing a pen and a paper, if you scan it, you can. Uh, it's technically a, a draft blueprint because it's a blueprint of your dungeon or your building, and you can print it out at Staples for you know less than 10 bucks in huge format. Absolutely. So we are kind of at the, uh, the end of our time here, so uh, what I want to do is, uh, first of all, let's get the Kickstarter link back up in the chat here so that uh, you know people here can see it. Uh, once again, this is Fantastic Geographic issue number one. Uh, it's got 22 days to go as we are uh, doing this right now. So anyone watching this on YouTube, there is still time for you to get in on this Kickstarter. Um, but, you know, that aside, where else can people find stuff uh, that you guys are working on or information about your projects or where you'll be uh, convention-wise? What, where can people find uh, Silver Boulet? We have a Facebook page, Silver Boulet. Um, that's where the majority of our stuff is. Uh, we do a lot of uh, digital sales through Drive Through RPG, um, and that's pretty much our web presence at the moment. One of the one of the things that is on our checklist to do this year is to get either a website or a better online presence of some sort. We haven't exactly figured out what that means yet, but it's on the list. Awesome. Cool. And then just uh, one other place, again, because we mentioned them a few times, uh, I, I will direct people towards the Independent Publishers Union Instagram page, uh, which is just at Independent Publishers Union. Uh, they've got all kinds of stuff from, uh, you know, Skeeter Green, uh, Planet X, uh, Northwind Adventures, and, of course, Silver Boulets. Yep. 
Yeah, and um, Jim Wampler's there too, mm-hmm. uh, Mud Puppy Games, and working with the IPU has been great. You know, we're we're just a bunch of buddies that uh, we share experiences and ideas, and it's it's made it a lot better for all of us. You know, nobody has to sit at a booth for eight hours a day when when we've joined our resources like this. And mm-hmm. Levi is just he's he's a monster when it comes to those internets. He's all over the yeah. place. Absolutely. With the hashtags and the and those pictures and you know he's everywhere, mm-hmm. and I I appreciate all the support that he gives us. All of them give us. You know, we all try and help each other out, but they've been great through this whole Kickstarter. All all four of the other guys. Mm-hmm. Actually, Absolutely. I think I think it's the Phylactery Four. I've got a piece in that uh, we you can check out too if you check out Levi's Kickstarter for Phylactery Four, mm-hmm. the Omnibus, and that one's based on Arduin. So, so nice nice well guys that is going to do it for uh tonight's episode of rolling bones uh ian and rocky i appreciate you guys coming on this has been a great conversation uh we we've had you know we, we've talked about lots of cool things here tonight uh and, and we got to talk about dragons which again so so many people just ignore dragons which is weird because the hobby is dungeons and dragons but you know that's beside yeah, right? the point yeah exactly it's it's the weirdest thing in the world but we got to talk dragons tonight which i am always happy to do yeah i really enjoyed the conversation tonight thanks for having us on yeah this is a blast sweet and and next time uh you guys have something to talk about uh definitely hit me up and, and we'll try to make this happen again sounds good Sweet. So, guys, that is it for this week's episode of Rolling Bones. To let everyone know what's coming up next week, uh, my producer, James, will actually uh, be visible the whole time next week, and he'll be joined by Manda from the Tales of Valor uh, show that they are doing right now. Uh, So we're going to be talking all about the current adventure in Tales of Valor and what's going on there it's it's another uh urban adventure so i'm excited to talk about all that stuff uh this time set in Waterdeep, uh so that's gonna be you know super super cool to discuss uh but we will be doing that next week uh with uh with james and manda on the show and uh yeah it's for every uh you know update on what's going on with rolling bones and uh, if you want to see the miniatures that i'm painting you can find me on Instagram and Twitter at Howard underscore Ryan Gregg. Uh, one more time, I will direct all of you to the Discord community for Valor Studios and ValorStudios.com. Uh, please uh, subscribe on here if you love what you're seeing and you know you want to you want to support what we've got going on here. Uh, that is greatly appreciated. And uh, definitely give us a subscribe on YouTube and uh, you know share this with all your gaming friends who didn't get the chance to join us live here. Uh, So until then, until next time, whether you rolled a one or a 20, I am so glad that you rolled your bones with me, Ryan Howard, and with us at Valor Studios. And I will see you guys next time.